You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. Good evening, everybody. Tonight, I would like to talk about poltergeists. Poltergeists, as anyone involved in the paranormal, interested in the paranormal, interested in ghost stories would know, poltergeists are those noisy little critters that make knockings on the walls and ceilings and floors and under your bed and make scratching sounds behind the walls and throw your little trinkets off of your fireplace mantle across the room and knock glasses out of the kitchen cabinets onto the floor. They're the ones who take your keys and hide them in the netherworld until you really throw a fit and then put them right in front of you so you can find them. It's interesting that people who investigate such things from both sides, those who believe in poltergeist activity and those who don't believe in poltergeist activity, many claim that much of the poltergeist activity they investigate is all fraudulent. Many believe it's real. That's the problem with a poltergeist activity is that it can't honestly be proven unless you catch some of the people involved in the act of doing things. In folklore and parapsychology, a poltergeist, which is a word that comes from the German language for a noisy ghost or noisy spirit, it's a ghost or spirit that is responsible for physical disturbances, as I said, such as loud noises, knocking, which was me, and objects being moved or destroyed. They are purportedly capable of pinching, biting, hitting, and tripping people. Most accounts of poltergeists describe the movement or levitation of objects such as furniture and cutlery or noises such as knocking on doors. I had a poltergeist type activity at my home one time, the one I grew up in back in Lexington. My mother had a large piece of furniture called a buffet 
basically it was a cabinet, but you could put out meals on the top, ergo the word buffet. She also had a hutch for her dishes. It was a, a glass-doored, shelved upper, and a cabinet lower piece of furniture, big thing, you know, stood almost to the ceiling. It was in the dining room, and I was in the family room. I was watching TV one afternoon. I was home alone, and it sounded like something had tipped over the hutch. Just a large, loud crash of dishes and glass. So I went looking through the kitchen. Nothing was wrong in the kitchen. Went into the dining room. Nothing was wrong there. I looked around, there were no windows broken, there was nothing laying on the floor, there was nothing on the table, there was nothing that would have made that noise. As far as I know, that was the only time we heard something like that in the house, or I heard something like that in the house. I don't recall ever having rappings or knockings or whispers, but that was one time when that was an unexplained noise. Back to the poltergeists. Poltergeist have been described as troublesome spirits who haunt a person rather than a place. There have been poltergeist activities and manifestations in many cultures and many countries including the United States, India, Japan, Brazil, Australia, and most European nations. And some of the early accounts date back to the first century. As I said, the word poltergeist comes from the German language, and it comes from the words poltern, which is to make sound or to rumble, and geist, which is ghost or spirit. The term then translates itself to noisy ghost, rumble ghost, or a loud spirit. Many of the poltergeist activities reported and investigated were proven to be hoaxes. Now, I can understand some of the reasoning behind that kids playing with things out of sight of their elders throwing things into the room or across the room where they see the item go but they didn't see the launch of the item. Or kids knocking on walls behind the bed so that it sounds like it's coming from the upper part of the wall or whatever. There was a psychical researcher named Frank Podmore who came up with a theory called the naughty little girl theory in cases of poltergeist activity. And he did that because many of the seeming cases centered around an adolescent, usually a young girl. Apparently, it has something to do with the going into puberty or adolescence, stress on the body, hormones, that kind of thing. The city found that the, the center of the disturbance was very often a child who was throwing objects around to fool or scare people for attention. Our old friend, skeptical investigator Joe Nickel, says that the claimed poltergeist incidents he studied typically originate from an individual who is motivated to cause mischief. In quoting Mr. Nickel, he says, In the typical poltergeist outbreak, small objects are hurled through the air by unseen forces. Furniture is overturned or other disturbances occur usually just what would be accomplished by a juvenile trickster determined to plague credulous adults. He further writes that the reports are usually exaggerated by the people who witness these things. I don't know why they would do that except maybe just to lend a little credence to, to what they're saying. Quoting uh, Mr. Nickel, Time and again in other poltergeist outbreaks, witnesses have reported an object leaping from its resting place 
supposedly on its own, when it is likely that the perpetrator had secretly obtained the object sometime earlier and waited for an opportunity to fling it, even from outside the room, thus supposedly proving he or she was innocent." Unquote. Research into anomalistic psychology it says poltergeist activity can be explained by psychological factors such as illusion, memory lapses, and wishful thinking. A study by Lang and Huron in 1998 wrote that poltergeist experiences are delusions and, quote, they result from the effective and cognitive dynamics of percipients, interpretation of ambiguous stimuli, end quote. Does that mean that if I see a glass come off of my shelf and not drop straight to the counter, but go six feet out and I see it myself, that I'm just believing it happened? I'm, I'm not really seeing that it did, but I just believe that's how it happened? I'm not sure what they mean by that, but it's a thought. A psychologist named Donovan Rawcliffe wrote that almost all poltergeist cases that have been investigated turned out to be based on trickery, while the rest are attributable to psychological factors such as hallucinations. As I've said before, a lot of these have been proven to be false, but some of them may have been correct, you know, have been actual things that happened. They give the illustration of a case on Cape Cod in 1957 where they had poltergeist activity in a house. Some of the people say, oh, well, it's just air currents moving things around. Well, in this case, it was true because there was an uncovered chimney that allowed enough wind to come down the chimney and come into the house that it actually blew a mirror off the wall and turned over chairs and knocked things off the of shelves. I've had that happen with a window open in the house where it just, it comes in as an explosion almost and blows things over. The old argument that water turbulence can cause poltergeist activity is sometimes used. The vibration of the moving water under the house causes things to vibrate off the shelf. Well, they did research on this and tested it by causing vibration under a, a model house that they'd built. And indeed, the model house was damaged by the vibrations, but not much moved. Well, that's one theory that's kind of out there that's not really a good one. Also, seismic activity could have done it. Again, it could probably cause more damage to the house than just knocking things off the shelf. David Turner, a retired physical chemist, suggested that ball lightning might cause the spooky movement of objects blamed on poltergeist. I'm thinking that if you see a glass come off the wall and you don't see a, a, a light source with it, it may not be ball lightning, and, and I'm not really sure how visible ball lightning is, but every picture or video I've ever seen of it, it's pretty darn noticeable. There are those who investigate poltergeist activity, and these may be among the believers of the paranormal rather than the skeptics, who say that poltergeist activity can be explained by psychokinesis, being able to move things with your mind. Those who investigate along religious belief lines say that poltergeist activity has often been believed to be the work of malicious spirits by spiritualists. In other words, somebody calls a mean spirit into the house and has them do what they will. There's a man named Alan Kardec who was the founder of Spiritism. And according to him, poltergeists 
are manifestations of disembodied spirits of low level belonging to the sixth class of the third order. Under this explanation, they are believed to be closely associated with the elements, fire, air, water, and earth. Great, so we have classism in the ghostly realm now. There are many famous cases of poltergeist activity which have been examined, which have been investigated. Some have been found to be unexplainable. Some have been found, been found to be very explainable. I'm going to touch on a few that I have actually talked about on the show before. There was a, a man named Gilbert Campbell in Glen Luce in 1654. A beggar asked for a handout. Campbell refused, and the beggar put a curse on the family to cause the family harm and over the next two years strange phenomena were alleged to have occurred at the house including the cutting of warp thread demonic voices strange whistling noises and stones being thrown researchers dismissed it as a hoax and a magic historian named thomas frost suggested that the phenomena was a result of conjuring trickery it is interesting to note that the beggar was commonly called the Jock of Broad Scotland. Now, I have no idea what that means, but he was the first person in Scottish history to publicly deny the existence of God. And for his beliefs, I guess, he was hanged at Dumfries for blasphemy in 1656. Another claim of poltergeist activity took place at another place called Hinton Ampner. It was an old two-door house, not two doors, Tudor, T-U-D-O-R. And it gained notoriety after it was said to become uninhabitable because of loud noises caused by a poltergeist. There were claims that were disputed by a man named Trevor Hall who apparently became a big deal in the it's not a poltergeist faction later on and he actually claimed that underground water was mainly responsible for the noises at Hinton. There are other stories such as the one I covered here on this show a long time back about the Bell Witch of Tennessee and we know the story as a man named John Bell got into an argument with the neighbor about property she apparently cursed the family some way because she had supposed powers. Sometime later, this spirit began attacking the family. Knockings on the wall, voices, strange animals sighted on the property. Apparently, it caused the death of John Bell and took after one of his children and did all kinds of evil, mean, wicked, bad, nasty things to the child. It is listed as, this could have happened, this may not have happened. So it's one of those strange things. Another place I have heard about is a place called Balachin House. It's in Scotland. It was built in 1806. And the owner of the house at the time of the story, apparently, while he was in India with the British Army, came to believe in reincarnation and transmigration. He came back to the house in 1850 and had numerous dogs and he is said to have stated that he would return in the form of a dog of course as is the case in so many places the the man remained unmarried but supposedly he had an affair with the much younger housekeeper who died in 1873 there after the major's death the house was inherited by his nephew and fearing that his uncle would reincarnate in the form of one of his dogs the new owner reportedly shot them all 
the old major after he died caused quite an uproar in the house because it was reported there were bangings and explosions and shrieks and wails and groans and the sound of people walking around bedrooms when there was nobody in there except the person sleeping. So Ballachin House was listed as one of the most haunted in England at the time. I reported on the great Amherst mystery once before, centering around a girl named Esther Cox. A lot of things happened around the place. Some people said it was real, some people said it wasn't real. It involved a young girl that had been, an, an attempted sexual assault had happened on her when she was young, and it caused problems in her psyche that apparently turned into poltergeist activity. Borley Rectory was a place in England that was literally named the most haunted house in England, and it was being described by a man named Harry Price who did psychic research, and I believe I touched on this one too. The hauntings included unexplained footsteps, four daughters to the rector, Mr. Ellis Bull, thought they saw the ghost of a nun at twilight out in the yard away from the house, but it disappeared. They said they've seen an apparition several times. Various people claimed to have witnessed a variety of puzzling incidents, such as a phantom coach driven by two headless horsemen during the next four decades. The rector, Mr. Bull, died and his son, the Reverend Mr. Bull, took over the house. Later on after he died, another rector moved in and another reverend and he and his wife moved into the house and they found different things. The wife was cleaning out a cupboard, came across a brown paper package containing the skull of a young woman. Shortly thereafter, they had ringing bells uh, that were disconnected but they still rang uh, lights appearing in the windows and unexplained footsteps the rector's wife believes she saw a horse-drawn carriage at night quite a few things occurred here and then finally in 1939 the new owner of the rectory a uh, captain gregson accidentally knocked over a lamp while he was unpacking stuff in borley rectory burned to the ground and of course there was some question as to whether that was done intentionally. One of the other things that I touched on was what I called GEF. It should have been pronounced Jeff. And for those of you who did question me and, and correct me on that, thank you. I'm sorry it took me this long to come back on that. Jeff was supposedly a mongoose that lived in a house and would talk to the owners. Jeff told the owners that he was an extra, extra clever mongoose and an earthbound spirit and a ghost in the form of a mongoose. But they would hear knockings and things and talking and, and all kinds of things. I don't really think they ever got to the bottom of it, but one of the things they said was that because of the way the house was built, it was easy to throw your voice in a very physical sense. You could speak near one part of the wall and it would convey to another part of the house. So Jeff was Jeff was an interesting story that I remember from a long time ago and I enjoyed re reporting on him. There have been others, the infield poltergeist which led to the movie The Conjuring 2. The children who lived through that story say that it happened maybe not to the extent that people think it did but they did say that it happened. One of the girls was levitated one police officer saw a a stuffed armchair 
lift and move across the floor several feet. The police gave up because they said there's no police activity to be done here, so goodbye. It was done. It was researched. There were people that investigated it. Some of the people weren't too trustworthy, and it added some things to it. The movie was fairly dead on, but they did take some artistic license with some of the events that happened. Poltergeists, do they exist? Are they real? Are they figments, literally, of our imagination? Are they offshoots of our psychic ability that apparently everyone has some of? To be able to cast things about without knowing that we're doing it? For me, I would love to be telekinetic. I got lots of rocks that I'd be throwing at people, but some of the stories about rocks being thrown at houses they've actually supposed that people were using a homemade catapult in one case which is really kind of interesting to think that people are using a, a catapult to launch rocks a distance away there are there are lots of stories of poltergeists of uh, the movie poltergeist came out before i believe the story of the black hope horror out of houston but it was a very similar story. Part of the neighborhood had been built on what was a former slave cemetery, later used by freedmen, but still a black cemetery. And instead of moving the bodies, they simply moved the gravestones out of the way, what gravestones there were. Poltergeist is a very similar story to that. The other poltergeist were simply come-alongs from the original story. I don't know that I believe in poltergeists. Again, I said I've had noises in my house so maybe they do exist maybe there's just something in my mind that makes the noises or or makes me think I heard a noise one poltergeist that I thought we had in our house turned out to be a Tupperware container of brandied fruit I was sitting in the family room with my mother watching TV in a hot summer day and we heard something in the kitchen go well I looked at her and she looked at me and we didn't know what it was so I got up to look and I found a Tupperware lid laying on the floor. Well, there was a Tupperware container on the stove. And Mom had gotten some brandied fruit and was in this Tupperware container. Well, I put the lid on it. I didn't want the stuff to go sour. I didn't know if it would or not in the heat. I put the lid on it and sealed it down like you're supposed to and burped the lid. Went back in the family room and a little while later I heard it again. And you heard a second sound after that both times that I couldn't identify. Well, I went in and there's the lid laying on the floor again. I put it on, came back in and told Mom what I was finding, and neither one of us clicked that the brandied fruit was causing a buildup of gas in the container and that when I sealed it, the gas eventually built up so much that the container lid popped off. So there's one, one poltergeist debunked and, and a funny story for you. Speaking of noises I can't identify, I want to add in here a bit of a recording. It's about two minutes long that I did out in my carport about a month ago, maybe. It was during a rainstorm. The electricity was out in the house, so I was sitting outside enjoying the weather. And I was talking, and all of a sudden there's a voice behind me. Or there's a voice in the, in the audio that was not me. And there was no one else outside around me, around the houses uh, that we live in. 
So I don't know where the voice came from. I don't know if it's an EVP or if it had a perfectly natural reasoning, but I'm going to put it on here. Hey, everybody. I'm sitting outside because I have no power in the house. So I'm just out here listening to the thunder and the rain, watching the lightning, wondering if my pomegranate bush is going to lay flat on the ground. There's some beautiful thunderclaps out here. I just heard a voice that wasn't mine. Hmm. Okay. Well, that tells me where this one's going. Anyway, let me show you what the rain looks like. My pomegranate tree is not recording very well. But anyway, that's the weather here in San Antonio right now. I don't know what the temperature is. As you can tell, it's a bit breezy because my hair is not binding. I hope to talk to y'all later. Bye. So here it is again, just the time that I'm speaking and the voice soon after that. So listen carefully. There's some beautiful thunderclaps out here. Tell me if you heard it. Tell me what you think it might say. Just to see what's going on. Anyway, that's what I have for this week. It was about poltergeists. Um, if you have poltergeist stories, I'd like to hear them. Just to see what people think about them. You can contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Again, remember to listen to Aaron Hunter with Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, on Mondays. Listen to Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show on Tuesdays. Listen to me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, on Wednesdays. And the occasional visit with Patrick Sean Jones doing The Sandman Lullaby. And those are announced as they show up. Anyway, have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.